Thanks for joining us here at Temple Baptist Church in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. If you would like to see other resources or learn more about our ministry, check out www.tbccentralia.com. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. All right, so how many people like to use GPS? I like GPS. Now, I don't like GPS because it tells me where to go. Um, I like GPS because it tells me uh, how far till I get there. And so if you like GPS, I want to introduce you to a couple things this morning. Number one, if you, if you got a bulletin inside, there's a note taker, all right? And in that note taker, this is kind of the GPS uh, for the sermon today. And when, I, when you get all this filled in, I'll be done. All right, that's not a lot of information, right? And if you really, if, you, if, you, if this isn't enough detail for you, uh, if you've downloaded the Uversion app and you go on to events, you'll see all of my notes. And so I'm going to go through a lot of scripture today. And you probably have a hard time just staying, uh, staying with me as we flip through the Bible. But what, uh, if you go and save the event, you'll actually have all of those notes and all those uh, scriptures and be able to just go right back to it. So today is Homecoming Sunday. Amen? Homecoming Sunday. You know, I th think about uh, when I was in Afghanistan and my tour was coming to an end. And um, it was about time to go home. Go and see my family. Getting a little excited. Getting very anxious. And so one of the things, one of the traditions we do while we're deployed is as, the, as it comes to an end, we have um, put a lot of things together into the area, our hut that we lived, and kind of made life a little more comfortable for ourselves. And, um, and then we started giving those things away to the guys that were leaving behind. They weren't going home in, in a couple of days or a couple of weeks. They were going home in a couple of months. And so we would start handing out and giving away some of our creature comforts that uh, we had developed while we were over there. And uh, we lived in huts. Uh, if you've ever seen a, a shed out back, that's what, that's what we lived in, all right? We, and, and we made that home. And so as part of making that home, we uh, developed like little closet things that would pop down, and it, it was fun. We started handing out all those things, and, and then a, a couple days out... You know, they told us, all right, the helicopter is going to be here on this day to pick, pick everybody up. Now, the whole time I was in Afghanistan, it rained. There was only one day with precipitation where I was at. One day. All right? And that was about two months in. And then it was just like a, a little sprinkling. Two weeks before I, it's time to come home, it started snowing. And it didn't stop. Six feet of snow in just a couple of days. The day that the helicopter was supposed to come pick us up, the weather was horrendous, and they couldn't, so they, they called off uh, all the flights up in the mountains. And so they decided, you know what, we're going to put everyone in Humvees, and we're just going to do a convoy down the mountain. And, and we went through a place called the KG Pass. And so the, the, the mountain's about 10,000-foot elevation, and we're going down this single-lane road with the snow. As we're driving down the Humvee, I just remember my mirror was scraping the snow. It was so high as we're going down. 
And if you, if you went two feet too far to the left, it was a thousand, multiple thousand foot drop. So we made it down that mountain with a couple of events happening, but safely. Then we finally got flown um, out of country and uh, landed in uh, Baltimore, uh, Washington International Airport. And as we're walking through the airport, you've probably seen commercials where people recognize that we're just getting back from overseas. And so they, they started clapping. That was incredible. And then I, I got on a plane and I landed in Atlanta and I had a little bit of a layover. And my next stop was home. At that point was Gulfport, Mississippi. And I remember as uh, the plane lands, um, I'm walking out and I see, I could see the, the way the airport was set up. You could see the, uh, the, the, the street that went in front of where you pick up or drop off passengers. And I saw this car fly by. And there was Carrie dri- driving with the boys and in this airport, if you missed the turn into the parking lot, you had to go all the way back around. She had to do that. Um, and she was doing it pretty fast. <laughs> a few minutes later, my mom comes running up with the little American flag. It was awesome. It was a time of homecoming. Something that I had looked forward to for months. And it didn't disappoint. Well, um, tonight, our, our church, are you ready for the homecoming choir? Amen. It's going to be exciting. And today, what I want to do is talk to you about a homecoming that every Christian should be looking forward to. So let's go ahead and start in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just come and I ask you to allow yourself to be heard. Your message for those that are here today. Lord, thank you for the fact that one day we will have a homecoming. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you would turn in your Bible to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, and I'm going to read a couple verses uh, to you there in verses 1, 2, and 3. And it says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. The reality is that death is imminent for all of us. You know, we as a church, a few months back, experienced the death of Miss Mona. Everything I'm telling you today, Miss Mona knows is true. This past week, uh, Carrie lost an uncle, and yesterday we were able to attend a funeral. And I can tell you that Uncle Mike knows that everything I'm about to tell you is true. And earlier this week, uh, one of our dear f- friends from a small group that we were in in First Baptist O'Fallon lost uh, their youngest son, who's the age of our youngest son, to a car wreck. Death is imminent. It doesn't matter if it's that time, you've lived a good life, you've reached that age where the body just gives out, or that time where a medical issue happens and your body's not able to recover. 
or there's an automobile accident or some kind of other accident. Death is imminent. But here's what I want to share with you today. It's four things. And the first is this, that heaven is real. You know, there's some myths out there about heaven. You know, one of those myths are that we're going to be hanging out on clouds. And we're just we're going to be bored for eternity. And that's what heaven is going to be like. Friends, I'm telling you that heaven will be nothing. Nothing at all like that. And it certainly will not be boring. And so a few realities about heaven uh, I want to share with you. And the first is that, that there's three heavens. The Bible tells us about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, I'll read verses 2 through 5. Or verse 2, it says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And so this is Paul telling the story about himself. And so the three heavens are, are, are this here. It's the atmosphere, the oxygen that we breathe here on earth. And then the second heaven is what we call the, where the planets are and the stars, the galaxies, the universe. And then the third heaven is where God is. And this is where Paul was taken to. And what he says, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know, but I know that this happened. <clears throat> What's going to be interesting is when we get to experience this third heaven, and um, I always find it interesting is that we want to find heaven in our universe. Now think about this. The creator of the world... Not just the earth, the creator of everything, um, where he resides is what we call heaven. And a lot of times we want to think about, well, where, where does that fit into, is it the Milky Way? Is it, into, is it into the black hole that everyone talks about up in outer space? I believe that it's another dimension. Now I say that in church and we uh, kind of look skeptical but yet, if, if we say that in Star Wars, we believe every word of it. Yeah, that, that absolutely could happen. Or on Star Trek. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're all going to find out one day just exactly where the, this heaven is. Where God, the creator of the world, resides. And when we get there, we're going to have a new body. Romans 8, 23 tells us this. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. You see, the world, the earth as we know it, wasn't designed to be the earth that we're living in. You've heard of a place called the Garden of Eden. This was when the earth was perfect in its form. And since the fall of man and since the flood... The earth has been groaning because the earth itself knows exactly what it was created for. It knows what it was designed and how it was designed. In verse 3 it says, and I know that, I'm sorry, in verse 23 it says, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit. If you are saved, you have, ex have experienced the Holy Spirit in your life. And something about being here on earth just doesn't satisfy. And it's that very thing in our spirit that, that doesn't allow us to be satisfied with the earth. The earth is experiencing that. We who have been saved are experiencing that. And here's how it describes it. It says, it groans inwardly as we await eagerly for the adoption as sons. 
You know, as I was talking to Uncle Mike's family, you know, he was to the point where he knew the end was close and started making preparations. And I don't know if you kind of felt like Uncle Mike did, but um, I have, especially after moving recently, that uh, I wake up in the morning and I'm making some groans in my lower back, in my knees, uh, in some of my muscles. Why? Because our body, you know, wasn't designed to, to live with that pain. But the older I get and the closer to my military retirement, the more these things are pronounced. Well, the same thing happens to us as we live through life. Our bodies aren't quite what they were when we were 25. And those of you who are 25, this too shall pass. Trust us. And you will understand when I say that it groans inwardly, and the Bible says that. Well, we'll have a new body. And here's what it says. As it groan inwardly, as we await eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. You see, our body is going to be redeemed. And what's interesting is the word redeem means to be bought back. See, Adam and Eve, they had the perfect bodies. Jesus Christ, after he rose, um, he had the glorified body that we will one day experience. And what will this body be like? Well, um, what's interesting is those of you who uh, love this, you'll still be able to eat and drink. It's not going to go anywhere. Not only that, but you will have a youthful body. If you go to Psalm 103, I'm not going to read it, but uh, mark that down. It tells you about the fact that we will, if you've ever wondered, am I going to be 80? Am I going to be 20? Am I going to be, you know, 12? Um, We'll probably be the perfect age. What that is, I don't know. All right? I think I remember what it was, but um, I'm past it. And, And God is going to, I believe, take us to that youthful body. Um, there'll be no more death, there'll be no more pain. You see, because we've overcome the curse, we'll be just like Jesus. Philippians tells us this. We'll, we'll, and what's interesting, if you, if you study what Jesus did after his resurrection, um, you'll find out that he didn't have to use the door. He, just imagine this is a wall and he just walked right through it. He just appeared in different places. Why? Because that's, that's the body that all of us who have experienced the salvation of Jesus one day will get to put on. You see, our entire body, soul, and spirit will be regenerated. It will be redeemed. It will be different. It will be perfect. There won't be cancer. There won't be disease in this body. There won't be anxiety or depression. Our Achilles is going to be just fine. Plantar fasciitis, non-existent. Our bodies will be perfect. And not only will we have a perfect body when we're in heaven, but we'll also experience a place called New Jerusalem. Revelation 21, in the first few verses, uh, say this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. But verse 2, and I saw the holy city... New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Let me tell you a couple of things about this New Jerusalem that you may not know. This is an incredible, it's called a city, but it's 1,400 miles wide, and it's 1,400 miles deep, and it's 1,400 miles tall. If we could take it, it's this perfect cube, 
And if we could sit it on the United States, it would literally cover three quarters of the United States. A city, New Jerusalem. And in this city, it says that in the Bible that there will be 12 foundations, one for each of the apostles named after. And then there will be 12 gates, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And what's interesting, each of these gates will be made out of one solid pearl. I mean, ladies, you've probably worn a couple of nice pearls uh, either in a bracelet or on your necklace. Imagine an entire gate in a city this big being made up of one entire pearl. Inside this city is going to be the tree of life. This is where those, that room that Jesus is preparing for us is going to be. And inside, down the, the center of the city is a river of life that flows. There will be no sun or moon. Because God himself and his presence will be there. And the brightness that comes off of him is what will provide the light for us. The reality is this. That not only is heaven is real, but somebody's coming. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 21. There's a song that... Uh, Used to love, I still do, listened to it a couple times this morning. Um, Gold City Quartet sang this, and um, Russ Taff uh, kind of made it famous, and it's called, the name of it is Somebody's Coming. Let me read you a couple of the, the words. This isn't the Bible, so don't get confused, okay? But here's what the, the words of the song says. It says, tell anybody that ain't got nobody. All right, the English isn't quite right on this, but somebody's coming. Tell all these people who think they need more money. Anyone here need more money? It says, tell you somebody's coming. Tell everybody walking tall and proud that their money talks, but it talks too loud. That there's somebody coming, and he's going to change everything. Next verse says, tell all these people making all these decisions, somebody's coming. Tell all these people with their hateful opinions, somebody's coming. Tell all those folks in Washington, D.C. That's not on this one. This is a new verse I added. Somebody's coming. That's going to change everything. Somebody's coming to change your mind. Sneak up on all you believe from behind. Somebody's coming who won't let you down. Who will turn everything you thought was right around. Well, somebody's coming. That's going to change everything Tell all these people at the end of the line, somebody's coming. Tell all the people that are holding all work for food sign, somebody's coming. Somebody's coming that's been here before. If you think you're out of chances, my friend, you've got one more. Because somebody's coming, and he's going to change everything. Somebody's coming that doesn't need your vote. He's going to rattle your cage and rock your boat. Somebody's coming like a thief in the night. Going to stand for his people when they're too weak to fight. Somebody's coming, and it's going to change everything. Well, that was a, a song. Let me tell you what the Bible tells us in Luke 21. I'm going to start reading verse 25. It says, there'll be signs in the sun and the moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations and perplexity. 
because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Folks, we're living in some tough times, but it's nothing like what Jesus was talking about here in Luke 21. There's coming a time on this earth where the sea is going to act in a way, you know, we get excited about hurricanes. We get excited about a, one or two tsunamis or a couple of earthquakes. There's a time coming when the earth is literally going to be shaken on its foundation. Verse 27, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing nigh. That body, this broken, frail body that's one day going to be redeemed, this is when it's going to happen. Now, you know, there's a couple things in Scripture and a lot of conversations that happen. And, and I, so I want to kind of clarify with you the difference between the rapture and the second coming of Jesus Christ. The rapture, as uh, described to us in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 15 through 17, says this, For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven, and with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. You know, this is the description of the rapture. And if uh, you have ever, has anyone ever got a save the date calendar or an email that said save the date, somebody's getting married, or save the date, the baby's supposed to be born? Well, God has a save the date calendar that he's put throughout the scripture. So what I want to do is kind of share with you a couple of these things. One is the rapture. The second one is the seven-year wedding feast. And at the same time that's going on, is there going to be a seven-year tribulation? And then the next thing on the, his calendar is the second coming of Christ. And then the next thing that's going to happen is the thousand-year reign of Christ. And then finally, we're going to experience a new heaven and a new earth. So let me just briefly show, walk through some of these scriptures. So the seven-year, um, after the rapture happens, there'll be the seven-year wedding feast. And at the same time, the tribulation. Now, I'm not going to read this to you, but if you look in Revelation between chapter 6 through chapter 18, you'll see a very graphic description of what the tribulation is going to look like. And the Lord has an interesting way of dealing with his chosen people, the Jews. You see, um, when God makes a promise, he keeps it. And one of the things that he's done with the Jews is he's given them signs and so one of the things that happens uh, in the Jewish calendar is they have what's called a year of jubilee. Every 50 years, a year of jubilee. One of those years was 1917. That's when um, Israel began to form in modern day as we understand it and see it. Fast forward 50 years and that takes us to what year? 1967. In 1967 there was a six-day war where this tiny fledgling nation-state called Israel took on three countries in one. Go forward, 1967, 50 years, what year does that take us to? 
No one wants to do public math, huh? Takes us to the year 2017. Last year was a year of jubilee. Last year in December, Jerusalem was recognized as the capital city of Israel. I think you probably watched the news and that went on with a little bit of consternation throughout the world. You see, God owes Israel one last seven-year period. He promised them because of the, their disobedience that there would be 490 years where they would um, suffer. They would be in bondage. And, and it lays out in Scripture that 483 of those years have taken place. There's a seven-year period that God is saving for the nation of Israel. Because um, there, while there are some Jews who believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that he has come, and, and we call them Messianic Jews... There are traditional Jews who still believe that the Messiah has never come. And they're waiting. And during this seven-year period, when the church has been raptured out, God is going to deal with the entire world. And what you'll find out is that the entire world is going to come against this little country that's the size of New Jersey. And he's going to finish that seven-year period just like he promised. And at the end of that seven-year period, all the nations of the world are going to be gathered against the nation of Israel. And you've probably heard of this on movies called the Battle of Armageddon. And about that time, the clouds are going to roll back. And just as we read in John chapter 14 and Luke chapter 21, Jesus Christ is going to come back to this earth for a second time. See, the first time he came as a Newborn baby in a manger in Bethlehem. The next time he comes, he'll be the king. If you turn in the Bibles to Matthew chapter 24, here's what the second coming of Jesus Christ will be like. And it says, immediately after the tribulation, those seven years, of those days the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Why are they mourning? Judgments coming. Because for seven years, Satan has had his way. For seven years, if you took the name of Jesus, you were martyred. And so there's not too many Christians on the earth. And when they see the Son of Man coming, they'll be mourning. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. And Revelation gives us a very graphic description, and Ezekiel does the same, of how God destroys all of those armies. And it tells exactly how he'll do this. And the next thing on his calendar is the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. Here's what's interesting. Have you ever read the Beatitudes where Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the earth? And have you ever wondered, like, you know what, I'm kind of poor in spirit, but uh, I haven't got that inherit the earth thing yet. At the end of the tribulation, when Jesus Christ comes back, he will set up dominion on this earth. Not on the new heaven and new earth, on this earth. And for 1,000 years, Jesus Christ will be the ruler of this world. And what's interesting is um, 
Revelation 20, 1 through 3. This is what happens at the end of the battle of the Armageddon. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. So for 1,000 years, Jesus Christ, the king, will be the ruler on this earth. The one-sixth of the population that is, think about this, there's almost 7 billion people on this earth right now. When Jesus comes back, there will probably be about 1 billion left. And the Bible tells us that if he didn't come back, the whole earth would be destroyed. And those billion people will be the the start of the 1,000-year reign. And they will continue to have families. And for a thousand years, Jesus will have his kingdom. And at the end of that thousand years, there'll still be death. There'll still be living. At the end of that thousand years, as the the earth has been repopulated, Satan's going to be released. Now, I cannot fathom this. I don't understand how this is possible. But Satan will be released for a short time. And it says it right there. After that thousand years... He must be released for a little while. And he will deceive the nations. And it says that he will gather a number of people that that cannot even be numbered that will come against Jesus and his kingdom here on earth. But he won't reign. He won't be victorious. Jesus, one more time, will finally be victorious over Satan. In Revelation 21, verse 1, it tells us about that new heaven and new earth. So those are a bunch of things that are about to happen. Um, I don't know when each one will ha- Here's what I can tell you because everybody likes to predict when the rapture is. All right? So if, if you find a date that someone's picked for the rapture, mark that one as that's not going to be the day. Because what the Bible tells us is that the Father doesn't know. Or the Father's the only one who knows. Nobody else knows. So I've told you that heaven is real. I've told you that somebody's coming and his name is Jesus. The third thing I want you to understand today is that this is permanent. This home that we choose, and make no mistake about it, we get to choose to be permanent. I want to read to you in John chapter 5 a couple verses and start in verse 24. It says, truly, truly, I say to you. This is Jesus. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. In verse 25, he says it again. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. You know, this is what's amazing. When Jesus... Um, makes a statement, it always happens. And he told his disciples, the hour is right now when the Son of Man is going to speak and those that are dead are going to rise from the dead. Verse 26, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. But do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. 
those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And if in Matthew chapter 27, he kind of explains the other side of the story. In verse 51, it says, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. Jesus had just now given up his life on the cross of Calvary. And this is what's happening. As the rocks split, the tombs also were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after this resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Now, why is it we have a hard time believing that this actually happened, and yet we believe the night of the living dead is coming? And there's plenty of seasons to prove it. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. I've been very frank with you this morning. I told you that heaven is real. I told you that somebody's coming and that this home is going to be permanent. The last thing I want to leave you with is this, that before you can have a homecoming, you first need to have a home. You see, um, I couldn't just come back from Afghanistan without having a home. I had a family to come back to. I had a, a, a home to move back into. Well, one day each of us gets to decide where we're going to spend eternity, where that home is going to be. Matthew 24 and verse 36 says this, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels or the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered into the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. What does that mean? It says life is going to go on like normal. And then Jesus is coming back. And just like that flood surprised a lot of people, they saw that boat, they made fun of him while he was building it. But they didn't once it started raining. They didn't once the flood started coming. But the problem was it was too late. One day Jesus is coming back. And there are people who today mock and ridicule me for this belief. They mock and ridicule you if you believe this scripture. But make no mistake about it, one day he's coming back. And when he does, here's what it says. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the meal, one will be taken and one left. In verse 42, therefore stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect. So when is the faithful and wise servant, verse 45, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. 
But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour when he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites in that place where there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is talking about those of us in the church. We know who the master is. We know that he's supposed to be coming. But we give up and we join everybody else. God help us if that's us. One of the things that I did before I went over to Afghanistan was I wrote a book. Wrote a book for my family. Because when I left, I wasn't sure that I would get back. I, wasn't, I wanted to have a homecoming, but I wasn't sure that that homecoming would actually happen. Because the reality was I was going to war. The reality was it wasn't going to be easy. And so I, I wrote a book for my kids. I wrote a book for my wife. It was hard. And if you've ever seen anything like that, as you get to the end, that's when you start pouring out your soul and your heart. And you want them, if there's nothing else you hear, hear this. I'm pretty sure I wrote that in the book. Well, you know what? When Jesus left, he knew that he was coming back. He knew that we would one day all get to experience a homecoming. And if you would, turn into Revelation chapter 22. And I want to read to you what Jesus said at the very end. And I'm going to start reading in verse 10. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy. For the time is near. Verse 11, let the evildoer still do evil. And let the filthy still be filthy. And the righteous still do right. And the holy still be holy. Verse 12, he says, behold, I'm coming soon. Bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life. And that they may enter the city by the gates, that new Jerusalem. Verse 15, outside of the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things. For the churches, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. And verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. You probably heard that spirit. Speaking to your heart, whether it was today, whether it was this week, whether it was last month, the spirit says, come. And the bride, who's the bride? It's the church. It's us. If you've experienced what the Holy Spirit has done and changed in your life, you want everyone else to experience. And so we tell them to come. And let the ones who hear say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take of the water of life without price. The message is this, come home. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part 
in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, simply go to www.tbccentralia.com forward slash next. You see, here at TBCC, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.